who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to... I must break this podcast, the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're taking a look at Dolph's most recently released effort, Wanted Man. In this tribute to the films of Clint Eastwood, Dolph takes on acting, directing, and writing duties once again, in which he plays Travis Johansson, a troubled police officer who, in order to save face during a PR scandal, is sent into Mexico to retrieve a couple female witnesses. Yet when it's made clear that there are some who don't want to see these witnesses testify, Johansson must reevaluate both his morals and his friends to ensure that justice is served. You have to save yours and our reputation. The DEA murders in Silverado. Remember that? Yeah, two undercover agents killed in a drug buy. We're DEA! I got the marshals to agree to send you down and bring those two witnesses back here. Sometimes I mess around with movie lines. You're looking at me? Mm-hmm. Somebody else around here? I got a problem! Let a doctor fix you up the right way. <laughs> this is my brother. It's dangerous. The longer we're here, the more danger for your family. Johnson has a few lives left. He's a strong one. She can help solve who killed those DEA agents. In America, we can protect you. You can! Te van a encontrar, Rosa. Te van a matar, vas a que te maten nomás. saw what happened that night and they know it so who do you know that you trust that you can call so many questions my friend if you want to fight with the wolves you got to be a wolf I'm your host, Sean, and joining me once again is action movie scholar Vern, author of the books Psychology, Worm on a Hook, and Nike Town. His writings can also be found on his signature website, outlawvern.com. Vern, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on, man. Yeah, thank you, Sean. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, well, I guess before we start breaking down the film, I have to ask because uh, yeah, we were talking how long it's been since uh, since the last time I had you on. What 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 is new? I mean, the the website is being updated. I wouldn't even say weekly. It's it's just about daily. What uh, what's going on with you? <laughs> yeah, I usually do four reviews a week, so it's a lot of work. But um, yeah, you know the usual same stuff. Same stuff, different days, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, 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 I should probably let you know, as well as the listeners know, um, I figured that you were most likely going to be covering this one. I mean, let's be honest, you cover a lot of, um, of the DTV kind of independent action stuff. Um, you, you made a comment uh, uh, when we discussed Section 8, I believe, that you said something along the lines of, I don't want to mince your words, but I think you said something along the lines of, yeah, I seem to always get asked for the films where Dolph takes on a small supporting role. And so I remember you said that, and I said, well, you know what? He has this film coming out, Wanted Man, where he's not only the lead, but he is also taking on directing duties once again. He also um, uh, wrote the film as well, like we said. So I figured, you know what? Vern has been in the trenches of the uh, Dolph Lundgren supporting roles numerous times. I'm going to have him on for uh, for this one. So that's basically why I handpicked you for Wanted Man. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't trying to guilt you into that, but I appreciate no. it. Well, I mean, and you can never go wrong. I don't know if you feel this way or not, because I know that you've seen all of these films as well. But I honestly feel you can never go wrong with Dolph Lundgren behind the wheel directing. Okay. I mean, you know, when he's in front of the camera, I mean, look, he's he has a presence. He's amazing. But I feel like when he is behind the camera, he puts forth some of his in my opinion, at least, some of his best uh, his best work. Because when he's behind the camera, even though it is of a low budget, he has kind of existed within that uh, that independent DTV realm for most of his career, let's be perfectly honest. So when he's given the reins to direct, I mean, I think, I'd like to think he has a clear vision. He kind of knows how to cut corners. He knows what to do. And with that being said, I mean, I, I started kind of going back and I started counting. This is his eighth film. Well, I guess we can say ninth, maybe unofficial if you want to count Diamond Dogs, but I know he's not the credited director on this one. But this is his, you know, his his eighth real feature film that he is correct uh, that he was um, uh, credited for as far as the director goes. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that right there kind of uh, adds some uh, credibility and merit to the film. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and he's co-writer. Uh, yeah, it, you can t- you can tell that he it's more meaningful to him than some of his other movies. It's definitely something that he that he believes in, and there there are some pretty personal touches to it. I think. Yeah, well, I mean that that's an excellent segue. I wanted to ask you real quick: um, Were you familiar with this film when it was in production, or better yet, are you aware uh, at all of the uh, of the background on this film's uh, on this particular film's production? Because, yeah this this film has had a long, long road to. Uh, to to where it you know we finally got to see it released, but were you aware about any of the uh, any of the background to this film? Not really. I read that it had been in development since two thousand six, I think. Uh, so I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. This film, I mean, I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, the co writer of this film, Michael Worth. And I've actually gotten to speak with him a couple times for the show. Um, anybody who remembers the days of PM Entertainment knows Michael Worth. I mean, Michael Worth has also kind of existed in that independent 
action uh, 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 genre, if you want to call it that. But yeah, I mean, I'll just kind of give you some of the, um, the the Cliff Notes version of the uh, of the background of this particular film. But yeah, um, basically, Dolph Lundgren and Michael Worth were. Um, I think they met around the time of Bridge of Dragons. So we're looking at about 1998. They kind of got to talking, became friendly. And then, yeah, around 2005, 2006, they started kicking around the, uh, the, the, the idea for this particular film. And, I mean, you can just, you can see, I mean, one of the cool things about this film is, I mean, this is a real passion project. And you get that, I mean, you just said it earlier, but, I mean, you can tell that this was, a real passion project for Dolph. Um, when I spoke with Michael Worth, you can tell that uh, this was something that he was heavily invested in. I mean, and so, man, these two guys have been writing this film and working on it for just shy of 15 years, which is which is pretty amazing. I mean, the, the fact that not only was it made, but that we're talking about it now is, I mean, let's just face it. I think that is that is extremely amazing. Yeah, and it's a, it's a movie that's, partly about immigration and then he Dolph became an American citizen just a couple of weeks ago like very close to when it came out yeah yeah well I mean and it's very clear as well I mean Dolph has gone on the record talking about this in various interviews but it's 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 kind of interesting how you know you and I who grew up on these particular films we of course have our heroes that we look up to um with Dolph, I mean, it's very clear. I mean, he's he's like I said, has said this in numerous interviews. Um, Clint Eastwood is is one of his big uh, his his idols or his inspirations. And so, if you look at this film, I mean, it's very clear that, in my opinion, at least, that Dolph was inspired. This, this particular film, I honestly think, it's uh, the perfect amalgam of The Gauntlet and Gran Torino. I think. <laughs> I think if you were going to take those two particular films and just put them together, I mean, that that's one of the best ways to describe this film. Yeah, that's funny because I, I wrote my, I'm, I'm writing my review of it. I haven't posted it yet, but I'm, I, I didn't think of the gauntlet, but I mentioned Gran Torino in my review. And also the, um, I mentioned Dirty Harry uh, for the Dirty Harry series, I guess, for a reason we can get into when we, when we talk about the plot more, but um yeah, that's interesting that you noticed that too. I didn't really think of if it was an intentional. Do you think he has he talked about it being an his homage to Clint or? Well, he didn't. He didn't specifically say that it was his homage to um, to Gran Torino, but he has mentioned that uh, on numerous interviews. And I was actually going to play some snippets from some of those interviews, uh, you know, throughout this conversation, but. Um, he did mention very clearly that clearly, clearly, excuse me, that it was inspired by the gauntlet. Um, Michael Worth, when I spoke with him a couple times, he admitted that as well. Gran Torino, that's just one that I'm kind of insinuating. But I mean, yeah, like Clint Eastwood. I mean, even my dad, my, my dad will freely admit that Clint Eastwood is one of his heroes as well. I think, I think all those men of a certain generation. I mean, Clint was like the ultimate epitome of of machismo. You know what I mean? So. I think in, in my opinion, again, I think it only makes sense that, you know, when, when Dolph is given free reign to write a passion project and not only write it, but also star in it and direct it, I'd like to think, yeah, he's going to be pulling inspiration and kind of uh, doing something that is inspired by some of his, his favorite films. And I think that's what all artists and all auteurs do. 
is they, right? I mean, they, they, they take what they're inspired by and what they like, and they use that as kind of a blueprint or a template and put their own spin on it, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I love it because I love, I love Clint Eastwood movies too. And it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't feel like he, one of those ones where someone's like trying to imitate the way that he, Clint talks and stuff like that. But just the idea of the grumpy kind of backwards guy that learns a little bit through a connection with another human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess, I mean, in one of the interviews that I saw, Dolph actually modeled the character that he plays Johansson on his own dad. So oh, I think, really? you know, yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's clear that he you know, he's pulling from a uh, from a personal place with with this particular film. So what's the mental state that you had to get into to write this role to become Mike? The character reminds me of my dad a little bit. My dad was kind of a bitter guy who felt down on his luck and took it out on the people around him. And I think part of the inspiration also was people like you know, that I've met in Los Angeles who are from Mexico and, and, you know, the hardships they go through to make it over here. And I think that was part of the story too. We decided to make it a little more of a story about immigration and trying to make the main character have more of an arc. Supposedly, I mean, you, you can only imagine with the fact that both Dolph and Michael Wirth had been working on this film for almost 15 years. I mean, this film, I guess, supposedly just has like over a dozen drafts, okay? Um, I guess at one point, this is one thing that's kind of interesting. Um, at one point, they were actually toying with the idea of having the the witness that Dolph is going to team up with, right? The one that he's supposed to retrieve. Um, they were toying with the idea of having the witness in Mexico be transgender. And um, that was that was one of the, the drafts that uh, they were really strongly trying to push. But obviously that didn't happen. And... Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to fully get to my recommend all the way at the point, but I, but I guess, you know, considering I have been kind of following this film's production for the past few years and after getting to speak with Michael Worth and everything, at the end of the day, I don't know if you felt this way or not, or not, Vern, but I think at the end of the day, that was like my biggest complaint with this film. And I don't have many complaints with this film, but I think my biggest complaint was, was just how at the end of the day, it was it was kind of generic and routine. And I mean, and there's nothing really wrong with that, but I guess considering it had gone through so many script revisions and everything, I kind of sat back when it was over and I thought to myself, like they spent almost 15 years on this. Like it didn't, <laughs> it didn't seem like anything new. If they had kept the transgender element in there, then I can see, you know, that's something kind of new, but in the end, I, I don't think it could escape. It's um, it's overall routine, uh, uh, plotting and feel. Yeah, I guess since I didn't know that whole history, I didn't put that kind of pressure on it, so I didn't, I didn't really feel disappointed. <laughs> and I know you're saying that it, that you did like it, but I, I didn't feel that that any uh, expectations of it being more than what it was. I guess. Well, I guess before we break down the plot and get into all that, I'm curious, <clears throat> in your opinion, for you, where does it stack up against? Dolph's other directing efforts. Because so if we just run down the list real quick of all the films that he not only um, had a hand in directing, but also starred in, uh, we have The Defender, which I will I will go down swinging as saying, I, I think that's, in my opinion, one of Dolph's best movies. But then he followed up The Defender. He did The Russian Specialist or The Mechanic, however you want to refer to it. Um, he did Missionary Man, um, Icarus, 
Command Performance, uh, Diamond Dogs, which he's uncredited on, but supposedly he had a hand in that, Castle Falls, and then this one. I mean, and so for a guy who has been acting since 1985, for him to, at this age that he's in, still be, you know, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera is pretty amazing. And I don't think there's any one of those films. I mean, some of those films, I'll admit, I like better than others, but I don't think any of those films are are terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. But I, I think I actually liked this as I think this is one of the better ones to me. Yeah. I'm curious, did you like it as much or better uh, than the Russian specialist? Because I, I think Russian specialist, Russian specialist and the defender, if we're going to look at all of his directing efforts, those are the two that are at the top for me. And I don't know if this one quite matched those, but um, I, I'd be curious where, where you stand on that. Um I think I would have to rewatch those because I didn't. I, I remember them being things I thought were pretty good, but I don't really have much. Uh, okay. I guess it didn't stick with me. Well, if we just, I mean, if, if we go into the film and we start, you know, breaking it down, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, and, and I, I feel bad kind of, you know, talking about how ultimately generic and routine it is. I mean, and there's, again, there's, I don't think there's really anything wrong with that, but I mean, the film is fairly uh, straightforward. Um, I don't want to say paint by numbers, but you do know, kind of where it's going and the beats that it's going to hit. Um, if we if we just go right to the opening, I mean, the, the great thing about this film, I will say, is that it is a clean 90 minutes. It does not overstay its welcome. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about how films nowadays, they, they don't know how to pace themselves. They're either way too long and bloated or they're way too short. I mean, the great thing about Dolph, when he is, uh, when he is writing and directing and in the editing room, he knows how to tell a story and get in and out within 90 minutes. So we just look at the, at the opening, you know, the great thing I, I, that I appreciate about this is how it really doesn't skip too many beats. It opens with a bust uh, in Mexico at an underground card game um, that is complete with undercover DEA agents, uh, drugs, prostitutes. And basically the, the card game is busted by some masked thieves and they kill everyone there including the uh including the dea or excuse me the undercover i should say dea agents who who is yelling he's trying to tell them it's me it's me so he seems so it kind of gives it gives you the tip off of who those guys might be at the beginning yeah right yeah i mean that that's one of the things about this film that i was going to get to is i mean <laughs> and again when i talk about how somewhat routine it is i mean you can pretty much tell immediately as soon as they walk on screen who Dolph's allies are and who the enemies are, right? Like who who the good cops are and who the bad cops are. Yeah. Well, there's one exception, I think. To to me, I thought because the chief was so nice that I was convinced that he had to be evil, but he actually wasn't. But otherwise, I agree with you. <laughs> well, interestingly, I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, in that opening scene, uh, one of the prostitutes who is killed is actually played by uh, Dolph's uh, wife. In real life, oh, wow. I don't know if no, I did, up on I that did not realize that. that. Wow. Yeah, so he's he's given his wife the uh, the plum rolls there, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, like I said, it really. I mean, for a ninety minute film, we have that opening scene, and then it just goes right into where we we are introduced to Dolph's character. Um, and I, I did kind of like this uh, the the opening touch in which we are introduced to his character. Um, we're introduced to the Johansson character by his supposed morning routine where he is working out and uh, then running on the beach. 
conveniently the the scenes where he's running on the beach is with a stunt double um <laughs> i don't know if you picked up on that or not but i, I, noticed, was... I noticed the hoodie was up yeah the hoodie was up um and he heads into work for what we see is uh yeah he's involved in a major pr scandal uh we find out that i, I think it goes without saying he's a bit of a racist right and uh video footage was leaked of him beating up a uh a hispanic suspect basically right Mm-hmm. And he's being protested for for it. I liked the touch that he. Uh, I didn't pick up on when they were talking about it on TV that it was talking about him, and then he drives into work and there's protesters there, and then he sees him and he like does a U turn and <laughs> drives away. <laughs> they're, they're like, "Hey, it's him!" And they're coming after him. That was kind of funny. The video footage, I will say, is like pretty hardcore. I mean, it's. It's one thing that, I mean, we have, you know, in this day and age, yeah, we have body cams and all sorts of footage of, uh, you know, with people on their cell phones and everything of um, uh, police officers using their, uh, using unnecessary force. But man, if we look at this video, Dolph is what he's, he's taken the, the, the door of the police car and just (laughs) slamming it on, on this, on this poor guy's head. And it's like, wow, like. It's it's gonna take us a bit for us to get on the side of this uh, on this guy, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, I think my one of my complaints about the movie, I felt I was a little worried at this point because um, I like the idea of setting him up as this piece of shit at the beginning, but I I I have never seen a police brutality video where the other police try to stop the guy from doing it. It's just like I just cannot believe that this would actually happen, you know, like. It doesn't it doesn't fit with what we have seen in this world, you know. They're trying to make a, a a timely story, but they're doing it in a way that just doesn't ring true to me. I think in the way they do the press conference about it and everything, but uh, but it quickly won me over after that. Well, that's an excellent segue because the thing that didn't ring true to me was the entire narrative impetus for the for the conflict at hand i mean i would like to think that if something like this happened and let's be honest things like this do happen in our society he would immediately be put on administrative leave right i mean he he would not i mean he might be doing a press conference but that was one thing that i had trouble believing i mean so if we just go to the next beat of the film um johansson's superior hernandez okay orders Johansson to go down to Mexico and retrieve a couple Hispanic women who were witnesses to the deaths of those, uh, of those DEA agents. And he's kind of doing this to kind of save face during that PR scandal to kind of, you know, make, uh, make Dolph's Johansson character appear like a nice guy once again. But I mean, I'm thinking to myself, like, no way would, <laughs> no way would they take that kind of chance. They would find some other officers to go down and do it, but no way would they put the one who's under investigation and doing a press conference, they would send him to, uh, to, uh, on, on this mission. Right. Right. At least it was accurate in that he wouldn't be held accountable, but, <laughs> but they, but yeah, I agree. It's not, it's, that's not believable, but I can see what they're trying to do. I mean, I mean, the one thing that about this film too that that is really kind of cool. I mean, and look, Dolph did something very similar with Castle Falls. I mean, I, I will say if we're going to compare this particular film to Castle Falls, um, I didn't get what the exact budget was on this film compared to Castle Falls, but this one actually, in my opinion, looks looks much better than Castle Falls did. Castle Falls. Really, I mean, that film was shot during a pandemic and everything like that. So yeah. that film in the end kind of had a bit of a kind of a cheap look to it. This film, 
um, has a much more cinematic polished look to it, which, I mean, let's be honest. I, I think the pandemic is, is really to blame for that one, but yeah, what's great about both films is, and again, I got to put this all on Dolph's shoulders here, but he makes it more of a character film. Okay. He makes these films more about the characters really more than the action. I mean, the action in both of the, uh, both Castle Falls and this film, especially Wanted Man, I would say is, is secondary. Okay. The great thing about this is Dolph, he really, really uh, takes his time in letting, um, letting the, the characters and their conversations breathe, maybe even more so than the action. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's another thing that's kind of Clint-like about it is that he he really, you know, we're kind of used to the action heroes who kind of deny that they're getting older in their movies and try to pretend they're not. And I like that it addresses right up front that he is talking about how he needs ankle surgery and you see him taking a bunch of pills after his jog at the beginning. And then the he, he spends a lot of the movie uh, in wounded and handcuffed to a bed and stuff like that. And, and it's, um, it's just like not pretending that he's still the He-Man, you know? Well, it's a good point. You know, I, I felt there was, was a relief to play a character like that, not to have to pretend, you know, that I can actually sometimes play, sometimes play, play my age and play, you know, injuries and things I have, you know, that, you know, they come with age, and if you live this life, whether it's uh, law enforcement or movies, acting, action movies, that's going to happen, you know. So I'm trying to do that now in, my, in all my work. I'm trying to be a little more true to life, you know. I mean, that's something, I mean, yeah, that, that's something that uh, Clint Eastwood has always done and made a mm-hmm. conscious effort of within his films is while he is still acting and starring in films and uh, directing those films, the great thing about Clint Eastwood is his characters are always aging with him as well. I mean, I distinctly remember seeing, well, ex- uh, except for the, uh, the last one, the cry macho. <laughs> oh, except for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, I agree. Right. That's one thing I love about, about him. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, yeah. But I remember, I mean, it's funny you mention that, but I remember um, back in 2000, I want to say it was, what, 2001, um, Bloodwork coming out, okay? Yeah. And I, I remember yeah. seeing that one, and one of the, the, the I mean, it, it's an okay movie. It's not, it's not fantastic or anything. It's certainly not one of Clint Eastwood's best movies. But what was really cool about it, and I remember all of the reviews seemingly pointing this out, is that, it was a film where Clint Eastwood was finally acknowledging that he was an old man and he was playing an old man. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, that's one thing you got to give, you got to give Dolph credit for is that he is allowing himself to, um, to be vulnerable. I mean, like you said, yeah, he's mentioning uh, that he needs his ankle, which again, that's, that's kind of one of the things I had a slight issue with. And it's like, well, why do we show him running on the beach in the mor- in, in the morning and he's running just <laughs> well, fine? <laughs> <laughs> he was limping around the I don't know about the jogging, but he I noticed that he was limping and then he mentioned it. So Yeah. Yeah. I believe he yeah, he shot and filmed this film right before he went in for uh for his ankle surgery. He had I don't know if you follow him on socials or anything like that, but um he did have a re- a major ankle surgery um during this film and then he also came out within the past year saying that he battled cancer so i believe he was going through cancer treatment as well kind of on the tail end of that 
as he was filming this this particular movie. So I think when you hear all of those things, it it kind of just makes the the final product all the more remarkable, you know. Yeah, I agree. But but going to how we said that this is uh, more of a of a character piece, more of a character driven film. I mean, that's one thing that I really noticed is that there are there are a few scenes where Dolph really, like we said, really lets the characters breathe. Um, I was going to play it here in a minute, but there is a fantastic scene between Dolph and uh, and the witness. We should probably say that the witness in the film, um, there's actually two witnesses. Spoiler, one of them is shot in one of the... Uh, Immediately? I- immediately, yeah. <laughs> but the one who he does team up with, um, the character's name is Rosa Barranco. Um, she's played by Christina Villa. I don't know where they found her, but I think she is, she does a phenomenal job in this particular film, but they, they have a really, a really cool scene where they're holed up in this hotel room and they're both kind of, you know, acknowledging the fact that they are um, both flawed human beings, but that they're both ultimately good. Well, I actually wanted to talk about a little before that, uh, the, the character De La Cruz that he, meets at when he first gets to Mexico. Yes. Yes. Um, Man, that, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 um, yeah because he, he comes to Mexico and he meets this young, handsome cop that's uh, the one who has to uh, bring him to the witnesses and everything. And so this, this was an example of somewhere where the movie kind of swerved on me in a way I didn't expect because I see this guy and I'm not familiar with this actor, but he was immediately immediately really charismatic and like has a, f- a funny chemistry with Dolph. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be like, um, this is where the Dirty Harry comes in that I thought it was going to be like, oh, he's got this young partner who's from Mexico and he sh- kind of shows him a different dimension that, that gets through his racist brain, you know? And mm-hmm. so the... the um, the scenes with him, he's he's really funny and he like and cool and it's kind of like Dolph looks really cool in his light colored suit that he's wearing, but this guy is kind of intimidating to him. He's got like sunglasses and he's talking about how he wants to be an actor, um, and then ironically they just shoot him right in the face when he when he dies. <laughs> but yeah. that's the, the but that's I was totally on board for like oh this is gonna be a buddy movie with this guy and then and the, and then the guy immediately gets killed along with the, one of the witnesses and then there's but there's a great moment there where uh they're driving with the two witnesses in the back of the car and they're really upset because they know that they're in danger from being transported and they're arguing with de la cruz in spanish and one of them says something that makes him laugh and you and then uh johansson dolph's character looks looks like very left out because he doesn't know what they're talking about and he hears them laughing and like, I thought that was a really great touch. Detective Sergeant, Mr. Ron Bajena. Come meet our witnesses, Leticia Gomez and Senorita Rosa Barranco. Someone tried to kill her last week. ¿Nos van a entregar con este güero? ¿Que no lo ves? ¿Que no entiendes? Mira. What the hell is this one yelling about? She says we might as well kill her now and be done with it. Okay, I'll think about it. Let's get back stateside first. In the car. Mira, si nos encuentran muertos va a ser tu culpa. Me las vas a pagar, pendejo. Yeah, that particular character, I mean, after speaking with Michael Worth, I, I have some theories about that. It's funny you brought up that character. But yeah, I agree. 
I had never seen that actor before, but man, is he charismatic when he, when he pops on screen. Okay. And he's, you know, he's quoting movie lines and everything. He's quoting movie lines that, I mean, anybody who's ever seen a movie before <laughs> knows those. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, but he, he's, he's doing a wonderful job. I mean, I remember um, Michael Worth telling me that one of the drafts for one of the scripts that they had was that uh, they considered it kind of being like maybe a buddy cop movie. And so I would be willing to bet Vern. I, I don't know if, I mean, I can't speak to this if it's in fact true, but I'd be willing to bet that that character was brought over from the draft, the, the, the one of the drafts that was intended to be a, uh, the, the buddy cop kind of thing, like we were talking about, because yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing too, that, I mean, I think is in the end, pretty amazing and remarkable about this particular film is, I mean, for, I mean, let's be perfectly honest for these independent DTV action f- films. You know what I mean? You really just don't get a side quirky character like that. You know what I mean? You would get the character, you'd get the De La Cruz character who Dolph has to team up with to transport, um, to transport these cows. And then he's blasted in the face and then the film moves to the next action sequence. But for him to be given those, those just kind of quirky little character nuances, you just don't get that in those, in these type of films. And so. Yeah. And especially for them to find an actor that actually is good enough to make a strong impression like that with that little scene. Yeah, so I'd be willing to bet that he had a uh, he had a bigger role in one of the drafts. But I mean, going back to the hotel room scene, I mean, again, <laughs> you you just don't get that th- those kind of films. I mean, I, I hate lumping this film together with any of the Bruce Willis films that uh, the Bruce Willis did with EFO, because I mean, I feel like all of those films, those films were all done on assembly line. They were pretty much a factory, and you know, things have come out to where maybe there was some other nefarious things going on. But I mean, those are independent action films as well. But I mean, you just, you don't get, first of all, you don't get characters like this that are that quirky. And you certainly don't get, you know, scenes that, uh, that, that really just kind of slow down. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's the thing about this film is, I mean, the few action sequences, action sequences, excuse me, that it has, I mean, they're brutal. I mean, they, they are really bloody <laughs> and really gory. And for the film to, you know, have those moments and then it just really, really slows down. It lets everything breathe. You know, Dolph's character gets to kind of start to kind of have ha- his uh, transitional arc. Same thing with the, uh, with the Rosa character. And then it moves on to the next hardcore action sequence. But we just, I mean, let's face it in this age of, you know, disposable streaming content, we just don't get those, um, these types of beats and these types of scenes and these types of films, you know what I mean? You miss your home? Do I miss my home? Yeah, I guess. My best friend, she grew up watching her mother and her grandmother go from nothing to nowhere. She's living a life of struggle and pain. but she knew a place where everyone had a chance. America. She paid a Coyote group to get us across. And she had a cousin in Los Angeles who would raise me and put me through school. But she never set foot on American soil. She died a hundred yards away from her dream for me. 
with two fat, slobbering coyote scumbags breathing down her face. And I got away before they could do the same to me. So at 16, I lived on the streets, undocumented. And you learned some things there, some things you shouldn't have to learn. Yeah, I think that's what makes it okay that it's that it's a pretty obvious plot because it's not really about that. Yeah. I mean, one thing too that I picked up on that I really, really liked too, and again, I, I got to believe this is all Dolph as well, but those scenes where Johansson and Dela Cruz are in the uh, in the transport vehicle transporting the uh, transporting the witnesses what's really kind of cool i don't i'm sure you picked up on it but i i personally loved it this film was shot in new mexico we should probably say okay and there are b- before things go down and before the dela cruz character is shot and and uh, uh, johansson is left for dead and everything like that we get some really cool exterior shots of um of johansson in this uh this convoy vehicle and the camera, if you notice, the camera really, really steps back, okay, and he films this uh, this vehicle traveling alone on the road, you know, from far away. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's it's really kind of cool because, I mean, you know, as a viewer, you know that this is all the calm before the storm, that they are going to be, um, that you know what I mean, that they're going to be ambushed. But what's really cool is, I mean, he doesn't just use one shot, but there are like multiple scenes that are on the exterior where you just see this car alone on the road. And that was something else that I thought was a really cool touch. Yeah, I agree. It's well, it's well shot. It's got a nice look to it. The the locations are, it's believable that it's Mexico. I, I will say the the problem. Okay, <laughs> the, the problem, and and the, there aren't many. Okay, but I said something pretty similar with uh with with Castle Falls. I honestly feel like with a film of this nature, there's a bit of a trade off. Okay, because again, it's working with a low budget. It only has so many days to shoot. Right. And so, you know, Dolph kind of has to, you know, he has to say to himself, okay, well, if I don't have time for this, what can I put more time and effort into? And so, and again, I said, I made this same comment, the same complaint with Castle Falls. It's not a huge deal, but one of the things that does, in my opinion, hurt this film is because Dolph has decided to make this more of a character piece and to focus more on the relationship between Johansson and Rosa as a result, the villain really gets shortchanged. And I feel like if this film, if it certainly, if it had more of a budget, if it had more shooting days, then yeah, we would have gotten that, that, you know what I mean? That real, you know, penultimate villain, right? Who chews up the scenery and everything like that. Unfortunately, there really isn't really much of a villain. I mean, that's one of the... That's, in my opinion, one of the other problems with this film is that, yeah, there, there are zero surprises in this film whatsoever. Okay, Kelsey Grammer shows up as the as uh, Dolph's former mentor named Brenner. Um, Michael Pere shows up as a fellow officer named Tinelli. As soon as they come on screen, you immediately know that they're crooked. No surprises whatsoever there. And I honestly feel like, especially with the character, um, the Tinelli character that Michael Pere plays, I feel like maybe what the script should have done is maybe have Michael Pere play his villain card early. You know what I mean? Play that hand early in the film to where we know that he is bad and we see him really chewing up the scenery, really being evil and on the chase, uh, or excuse me, on in pursuit, I should say, of, uh, of the Johansson character. But unfortunately, they 
they don't do any of that. And when they, it is revealed that they're the villain, it's no surprise whatsoever. Well, I agree with that mostly, but I, I, I like, I really liked them as the villains because I did immediately, I, I think there's something very observant about the way that they portray them as, as uh, depicting this particular type of like old boy network of, of cops that all like the fact that they get away with what they're doing is because they're former cops. And, and uh, there's actually this scene that I think is really great. That's where uh, Kelsey Grammer goes into the police station to kind of get more information about what's going on in Mexico. And, you know, I I obviously thought he was going to be the villain, but they're trying to make you think maybe he, Maybe these guys really are. There's a big thing about how they they miss the action of being cops and everything and being heroes or whatever, and they um, they 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 want to help. You know, they if you're reading, if you're not guessing that they're the bad guys, then then what this would be leading to is they're gonna like have their own vigilante mission to go rescue them, and they're gonna recapture their former glory. You know, I think that's what you're supposed to think. And and they hint at it enough that I was that I was thinking like oh I hope that's not what it is <laughs> because I because I really liked the idea of like he comes in wearing the, they all they all dress like they're on vacation all the time he's wearing he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses <laughs> and hat and he like comes into the police station and he's going around and he's like pointing and going oh you lost Wade oh how's you you know he's like best friends with everybody in there. And it's like he's allowed to go in there and get information because he used to work there and they're all his friend. And they don't suspect that he's the one that killed the DEA agent and did all this stuff because they, you know, because he's their buddy. And so they do a really good job of depicting this whole world where they all talk to each other in this buddy way. They go to the strip club together and they, they all, they try to talk him out of going to Mexico. They say a bunch of racist stuff and they, they talk about being old and how the strippers are, young enough to be their daughters and all this stuff. <laughs> and they're like, um, I, I don't know. I thought it was a perfect depiction of that type of dude and the, the type of dude that Johansson could become. And then because of the events of this movie, he does, he hopefully will not become one of those guys. Well, I immediately knew that there was going to be no character arc or redeeming qualities with Michael Perret. <laughs> Right from the get-go, mainly because he did look character. like a bad guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's wearing a gold chain necklace. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you see him pop up and he's wearing that necklace, I was like, okay, well, he's going to be one of the uh, one of the bad yeah. dudes. I mean, yeah. In fact, ahead. he looks so evil that when he first walked in, I didn't understand that he was one of his friends too. I thought this is now like a gangster guy that's coming in to intimidate them or something. It took me a and bit seeing- to catch up. And that's what I think. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it, okay, it, since that's not much of a surprise, in my opinion, what I, what I wish the script would have done is, you know, make that reveal early in the film to where, you know, he's looking at his, uh, his, his dirty cop, you know, henchman or whatever, and he's saying, you know, you know that we can't let Johansson come back, right? Let's get them. And suddenly then it becomes a chase. Because what's really interesting, if you think about it, Vern, all of the action beats in this film, and again, I love all the action beats. I think the the scene on the road where um, Dela Cruz is blasted, you know that that turned out really cool. The um, 
the uh, the shootout in the hotel or where they're back at Rose's place and Dolph has the uh, has the shotgun. You know I what I mean? I think the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all those scenes are really cool. But if you really think about it, all of the action sequences are a result of Dolph telling Rosa, oh, no, we can trust these guys. Let them in. Yeah, and then but that's, that's what I like about it, though. It's like she's and she's telling him, like, no, you can't. You know, she knows better, but he's stuck in this old way of like, I, these are my buddies. I trust them, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, the, which, I like that. and see, and I guess I liked it the first time, but then the second time, as soon as they get in the <laughs> car with Kelsey Grammer, I'm thinking like, okay, well, we know where this is going. <laughs> but there's, I think there's a lot of tension in that though, that you're, you're like, okay, these guys are definitely bad guys. And he and the fact that he doesn't pick up on it, but she's she's obviously going like, "Oh, this is weird. Why did these guys show up here and stuff?" But he's he's not picking up on it. I think there's like that whole scene in the car. I think it. I thought it was effective because we knew that these guys are going to turn on him. Another really cool thing about this film that, again, <laughs> you know, I mean, quibbles aside that I, I think we can say is one of the things I really appreciated about this film as well is the fact that you get multiple sets. You know what I mean? Like we th- that's something else that we really don't see a heck of a lot in these independent films. I mean, if you really think about it, this film really goes to multiple locations Okay, for not just its action sequences, but for, you know, simple scenes of dialogue. I mean, if you really break it down, we have the scenes on the road. We have the scene in the hotel room. We have the scene back at Rosa's brother's place. Um, We have the scene at the courthouse, then back at the police station, then at the strip club, even though the strip club looks like a clearly it was some kind of makeshift set that they (laughs) threw together last minute. But that's something else that I mean. I mean, I, I keep saying this, and I, I promise I won't c- continue sounding like a broken record here. But again, you just don't get multiple multiple sets, multiple locations these days. Okay, now nowadays, I think the the idea is okay. We have one, maybe two sets. Well, you know what? Let's make it a siege thriller. Or let, let's make it a diehard knockoff or something of that nature. Um, the fact that Dolph is really maximizing the budget, the shooting time, the um, the number of days, the natural lighting too, the the daylight on the, in the, that's uh, that they're working with in this film, I think is all to um, ultimately to the film's uh, strength and credit. Yeah, I agree. I think we haven't really talked about that. He, after they get ambushed by crooked Mexican cops, uh, she Rosa has an opportunity to escape, but she decides instead to save him. So she brings him to uh, her. It's a, is it her mom's house? She brings she brings him to a family home and she keeps him handcuffed to a bed, but she gets him, she gets the bullet removed and there, and then she has a brother who's a cop who who she trusts because he's her brother. And so they kind of keep him prisoner, but then there's this whole thing where he, he kind of briefly strikes a friendship with her mom, which (laughs) I liked that part of the movie that he, uh, she brings him food. And when he tastes it, he's like, stops being grumpy for a second and he says, Gracias. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but a thing that I really liked about it also is that I, I don't know if you read it this way, but I got the impression that the room he was locked up in was her form, her bedroom from when she was younger. And there's like all these soccer trophies and there's like a poster of a soccer player and a soccer ball and stuff. And it looks like a, 
not in a not in a cheesy way like it looks like a real like lived in home and it just gives this idea that she's she's supposed to be this uh person who came to america illegally and got into trouble and and became a prostitute and then she's like on the run after witnessing this massacre um so i like that it gives this dimension to her by showing like this is her life before that and she you can see this whole history to her in that in that bedroom yeah yeah i mean i i, I mean i already said it but i'll echo it again um yeah i think christina via okay as this rosa character i think she is fantastic I think Dolph did perfect casting there with with her. I mean, if we if we go to the end real quick, I wanted to get your your opinion, your take on on the very end. One of I, I guess you can interpret it a couple of different ways, but if we if we go to the end real quick at the courthouse, okay, you know, she's all, I mean, if you noticed, um, she's like completely dolled up and almost looks like a completely different person <laughs> by by the end of the film. Um but you know we see that Dolph's character has transformed okay he is uh much more open-minded and not as bigoted as he was at the beginning of the film what's interesting is he asks her do you want to go out for a cup of coffee and she says sure and they leave now i am glad that this film did not end with them embracing or them you know it fully leaning into them starting a relationship but it does kind of hint that they might, you know, go off and there might be some romance there. Um, I, I guess before I, g- I give you my take on it, what uh, what were your thoughts on on the end and where these two where we can assume these two characters go? Um, yeah, I read it the same. I think uh, it's a little corny, but it's uh, I guess I was just relieved that it wasn't more than that because I. I think they established like a sexual tension between them earlier in the movie, like in that scene when they're in the hotel and he's sleeping on the couch and he's like looking over at her and I was like, Oh no. (laughs) And then uh, it doesn't go anywhere. And so I think they were just having, it's definitely implied that maybe she has a crush on him or something at the end, but at least we don't have to go there really. They just, maybe they're just friends at the end. And see, I mean, I, I think, Look, it, it's it's not it's it's not a make or break for me to be perfectly honest. But I mean, that's one thing too that I was kind of like, you know, it doesn't have to be a romance. And again, I'm glad that they kind of leave it for um, they leave it up for viewer interpretation. But one idea that I had, I don't know if where you stand on this or not, because I mean, let's be honest, Vern. She, <laughs> the actress uh, Christina Via, is significantly younger than Mr. Lundgren, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I had was. Okay, what if, okay, earlier in the film, we find out that, uh, that, that Dolph had a daughter who was unfortunately killed by a drunk driver who just so happened to be a uh, illegal immigrant or just so happened to be Hispanic or whatever it may be. Then what that can do is that kind of gives us a, uh, a, a reason for Dolph's bigotry, for his character's bigotry. And then with the dynamic between the Johansson character and the, the Rosa character, well then suddenly we get like a, a father daughter relationship. And I almost would have liked it better. I think if it had gone that way to where suddenly he is suddenly, he's able to kind of be a father figure once again, you know what I mean? And this character is kind of serving that purpose. Maybe I'm going way further into it than, than really need be Vern. But that was, that's kind of where I, I wished the film 
had zigged when it it zagged, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I could see that working, but then again, like a lot of people are bigoted without having to have an origin story for it. So true. It, it makes sense that he's just a jerk and <laughs> you know an ignorant person. Yeah, but yeah, I see what I see what you're saying. I think she she's definitely younger than him, but she's also it's not like she's you know she's. I have no idea how old she is, but she seems very mature. And she has a maturity yeah. and has a very strong screen presence that doesn't seem like some like young model or something like you might see in a lesser Steven Seagal movie or something where they have that issue with the old guy and the young. Oh guy. boy, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can't remember if it was one of your reviews or not. I don't think it was, but I remember there was for one of those one of those many Seagal movies that came out. In that uh, in that mid two thousands period, you know, it's it's showing him um, getting romantic with with a gal who uh, is old enough to be his daughter, a very you know, <laughs> a, a very young daughter, and they equate him as he's you know as he's embracing her and uh, you know kind of leaning on her. They they equate it with him looking like a vampire. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's one of those things that just doesn't work. Well, okay. I mean, I know we've kind of bounced around this film back and forth, but I mean, I mean, like I said, it it is it is short, it is extremely straightforward, but I mean, it does its job in ninety minutes. Um, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to say about this movie before we get to the recommend? Are there any scenes or any moments that you'd like to uh, to point out that maybe we didn't discuss? Uh, yeah, I just want to mention I liked that um, the shootout in Rose's house was good i think there's the issue with some of the action in it is that as much as he's trying to work in that he's old there's definitely some suspension of disbelief required in some of the that he's always the one that hits the other guys and they don't hit him in the shootouts because he's just kind of like getting very lucky that nobody ever hits him i guess but um the the shootout at rose's house was really cool because of how he's he's handcuffed to the bed and this uh, cousin Salvador, I think was his name, who's kind of like very briefly established, but he's like a likable minor character. Um, he gets shot and Johansson is handcuffed, but he reaches over and picks up his shotgun and then he uses Salvador's body to aim the, like he, he hoists the gun onto, <laughs> onto him and aims over it. And then there's this whole thing where he's shooting out the door at this guy that's hiding behind a fence and he shoots through the fence and you see the guy drop through. It's like a really well staged shootout. And then he un uncuffs himself from, he gets the keys and uncuffs himself. And then I mentioned the, he gets the knife and just like, there's this, this part where he comes up behind this guy and is stabbing him and he looks really like savage. And, he, <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. It was a really cool scene. He's like stabbing him. And then he's looking in the window and he's like, are you okay? Like checking on the, checking on Rose's mom. Yeah, I mean, I, I go into my recommend, um, you know, here in a minute. I mean, I will say, yeah, I mean, you can tell that that Dolph, while at times I will say the the action does feel a little shoehorned in, you know, at times compared to the uh, the character work that Dolph is offering. I mean, you can tell that both uh, both Dolph and Michael Worth really thought long and hard about how, okay, if this film is only going to have three real action sequences, well, then let's choreograph, choreograph it right. You know what I mean? Let's, let's figure out some kind of creative, inventive ways where we can do this, where it is not just, you know, um, 
someone hiding behind a head, uh, hiding behind a bed or hiding underneath a table and, you know, yeah. kind of peeking out and popping off a few shots here and there. I mean, like you said, I, I thought the, uh, you know, him getting uh, him handcuffed to the bed and trying to, you know, work with that while also, you know, <laughs> trying to survive, I thought was, uh, was, was really kind of cool. Um, you know, but, but at the end of the day, Vern, I mean, Again, I, I had a lot of fun talking about this film with you. I mean, I know, like we said, we we kind of jumped around it, but you know, here we go. Okay, here we are. Uh, the the past couple times, it was Dolph in these small supporting roles where he kind of let other younger actors do the heavy lifting and everything. Here, okay, uh, y- you've been given a <laughs> you've been given a Dolph Lundgren film where he is not just front and center in the film, but he's also. I mean, this is his movie where he is directing everything he is writing all of the action so here you go uh i i I hope you enjoyed it um but at the end of the day would you recommend this film not just as a Dolph Lundgren film but as a film in general where do you stand yeah i think for fans of of modern independent action movies i think it's it's a good one it's uh you know it doesn't you, you can't expect it to be on the level of, of you know, movie his movies from the '90s and everything, but as far as the modern DTV or VOD action movies, I think it's a good one because it's like it's it's well made. He's got a good character. The cast is really good. Like like I agree with you about um, what's it, Christina Fia is that her name who plays right, Rogue? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. She was excellent, and her like her whole they managed to make me care about her whole family in this section of the movie at her house. And like, uh, and then uh, Kelsey Grammer, I think in a small amount of screen time is just perfect for playing that particular type of jerk. And, (laughs) you know, like the, um, it's, it's interesting because he's kind of what I, what I interpreted as, as the message they're getting with his character i feel like is is not i don't know i don't know much about him i know he's that he's conservative so i don't don't really know how far it is but i I found it interesting that he would do that role and do a good job of it of like uh kind of portraying a point of view that i think is the bad guy's point of view that maybe he agrees with somewhat in real life but um i don't know so I, i i feel like it's like for someone like me who enjoys these this type of template and this type of movie, it's got a, a, enough of the character and emotion and kind of nuance on top of it that makes it enjoyable for me. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm with you right there to an extent. I mean, I will say as a big fan of Dolph Lundgren, I mean, I think it's always cool to see Dolph straddle both a genre that he's comfortable in with a type of role that he has never really been able to do prior. Okay. Um, Looking at this particular film, I mean, yeah, for being of the um, independent DTV world, I think it is uh, very well made. Um, It has a fantastic sheen and veneer to it that you really just don't see in these type of uh, independent action films. While I guess, you know, kind of like I said earlier, considering you know, when I heard that uh, that Michael Worth had so many drafts of the script and that they had been working on it for so long, you know, I, I guess I was kind of hoping for something that felt a little bit different than than what we ultimately got. But 
I don't think that's uh, that's a detriment to it. You know what I mean? At, at the end of the day, it uh, it may not be anything highly original, but I will say this film is never boring. Okay, it does its job within ninety minutes, and it manages to continue reminding us that Dolph is a force, both in front of and behind the camera. Um, at the moment, as of this recording, Dolph really doesn't uh, have much on the uh, on the horizon that uh, that he's going to be filming. Um, I was going to get your take on, on these films and, and where his career is going to go. But if, okay, this is a big if, but if this uh, just so happens to be one of the last um, lead starring roles that we see from Mr. Dolph Lundgren, I think it is a, uh, it is a wonderful send off to a fantastic career. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's good to end on something that's like thoughtful and has some, you know, is about empathy and stuff, you know, yeah. And learn, learning kind of evolving, I guess would be the word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to get your take real quick though. I mean, I'm sure you've been seeing the, uh, the action genre, um, especially of the independent variety, you know, I mean, man, it's, it's really interesting to see where we're going to be going over the course of the next couple years. But, um, I have some theories myself. I, I kind of wonder if we're really going to be seeing any more uh, independent action films, especially of this nature, considering that, uh, I mean, let, let's be honest, there's really not a heck of a lot of money being pumped into these films. And when they are put out, it's, uh, it's kind of like, how does a film like this get eyes on it? I mean, that, that's kind of my big, my big wondering that I thought I'd get your, your opinion and your take on real quick. I mean, but that this film was, uh, like we said, this was a passion project. There was a lot of sweat. There was a lot of effort that went into it, and unfortunately, um, it was just uh, it, it was just kind of put on the the various streaming services with with not a heck of a lot of fanfare, with not a heck of a lot of marketing. I mean, Dolph, God bless him. You know, he was trying, um, doing some various interviews, getting it out there. But I mean. It, it is very difficult for a film of this nature to to get out there and get um, and get eyes on it. You know, I mean, back when he did um, the Russian Specialist and uh, Command Performance, I mean, we still had a rental market. We still had the blockbusters and the Hollywood videos where you could put this on a shelf and it would get um, it would get traction. But now, with so much streaming content that is out there. Unfortunately, a film like this that that I did highly enjoy really just gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, w would you agree? Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's disheartening for us as viewers to see how how much they're forced to make the budgets and schedulers and, and schedules smaller and smaller. Like, it's very obvious that they're you know, there's so many movies where it's like, well, we got Mickey Rourke for one day. So he's going to be in this part where he cries and, <laughs> you know, which I, we, we talked about that with section eight. Like it's, it's, uh, it's just unfortunate because you like, if you look at Scott Adkins, I feel like Scott Adkins is doing an amazing job. He's still making like great movies and he's way more famous than he used to be. But if you look at like the undisputed sequels seem like gigantic budgets compared to, compared to what he's able to do now. And he and they were shooting on film at one point, and it's just, it's just, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a result of everything in this world being taken over by stock market scams, and you know, everything is about maximizing profits and not 
doing a good yeah. job anymore. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, I worry about it too. On the other hand, there's, there's, there, there has been able to be like the John Wick movies and some of those other kind of more medium budget movies occasionally we're able to get. And so, uh, I don't know. Hopefully there's still a future for it. Maybe, maybe there's less of a future for, for these tiny ones, but I don't know. Ultimately, I mean, what I'd like to see, I mean, in an ideal world, I mean, when I ask that question, how does a film like this get eyes on it? You know, um, what, what I would love to see, okay. in in my ideal world is, I mean, look, I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Smith. Okay. I think he's a bit, a bit of a loud mouth and everything like that. But what's interesting about Kevin Smith is he saw the writing on the wall years ago. Okay. And so what he decided to do with these films, especially if they were extremely independent was he was able to tour these films himself. You know what I mean? He was able to take these films on the road and go state to state, state to state and put them in the theater for one night only. And then afterwards offer a, uh, a Q and a, and I honestly feel like, like Dolph, I mean, I mean, look, obviously I'm a little biased considering the nature of the show, <laughs> but I feel like this particular movie, considering, you know, this was his passion project. This is a film that I would, I think would have been amazing if he had done something similar to that. Scott Atkins is another one. I mean, Scott Atkins has done a few films that he's extremely proud of. I mean, the Accident Man films, for example. And I think, I mean, look. I, I feel like Michael J. Sorry to interrupt. I yeah. feel like Michael J. White is the guy to do that. Maybe Michael J. White too. You know what I mean? But I mean, if yeah. they have a film where they're not just a supporting character, but where they're you know in the film and they're they're running the show, then I think. Yeah, I think that would certainly get more eyes on it if they, again, took it on the road, went to various cities. You know, here where I'm at, we have um, Alamo Drafthouse. That's a big uh, theater chain that does things like that. But I think that would certainly help get eyes on a small little film like this. But unfortunately, um, Wanted Man is, um, at the moment, the only free streaming service that it's on is uh, is on Hoopla. But... I mean, let's be perfectly honest. This it's going to be on Tubi and on the other free services within about two months, I imagine. You know what I mean? And it's just going to get lumped with all of the other stuff that's out there. And as a result, is not going to be able to, you know, have the legs to stand up and and stand apart from. Let's be honest, all of the other junk that is on there. Unfortunately, you know. Yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. <laughs> the economics of movies now is so I don't know yeah I, I'm a broken record on that but it's just like there used to be video stores and Dolph Lundgren would make a movie and Blockbuster would buy such and you know X number of copies and so he could do whatever he wanted and Jean-Claude Van you know it was a good time for that <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. his name is on the cover we will buy this number so therefore go make the movie and he was able to have like a reasonable budget for it and everything and a lot of them were like either good movies or just interestingly bizarre movies. I, I miss that. I don't yeah. know how you make that work in streaming, but I hope I hope they are able to get paid from those from Tubi and things like that. But yeah, well, I'm I'm not counting it out just yet. I think we maybe we might be able to see Scott Atkins and Michael Jai White take one of their new films on tour and <laughs> do do a sweet Q and A Q&A afterwards. You know, with uh, with you know the with the audience or whatever. I mean, because I think there is certainly a market for that. 
that, uh, that, that is at this point, I think fairly untapped that I think would be really cool to see. So I think, I think you're right. I think that would work. But, uh, well, this, I mean, Vern, it, it's always a pleasure getting to talk with you. I'm, I'm sorry that it's been uh, uh, over a year since uh, I last had you on. But uh, before I let you go, anything that you want to uh, to give a shout out to or anything that you want to mention? I mean, it's really cool having you on because you are a published author who has multiple books out there. Um, your, your website is, uh, is constantly getting traction. Um, what's new? What's going on, man? Uh, not much. I w- I'd like to write another book, but I haven't. <laughs> I have to percolate for a long time on this. I've I've got one that I'm kind of working on, but it's a ways off. But I'm always writing reviews on outlawverd.com. And uh, so, yeah, check me out on there. And I'm on Twitter and the usual suspects under out, at outlawvern on everything. Excellent. So you can get, get the links to my reviews on there. Well, thank you again for uh, for joining me. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed the film, and uh, let's be in touch. We'll uh, we'll have to chat again, okay, man? Yeah, thank, thanks a lot. It was great. Uh, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. Mm-hmm.